Now joining us is Karen Hobart Flynn. Karen is president of Common Cause. They're a nonpartisan grassroots organization with 1.2 million members and supporters dedicated to building a strong democracy and holding power accountable. Karen is a democracy reform activist and leader, and she has been for more than three decades, including 25 plus years on staff and in state and national leadership positions within Common Cause. More than a pleasure to have president of Common Cause, Karen Hobart Flynn, with us. Uh, Karen, may I call you Karen? Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Yes, please do. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you. And thank you for joining us uh, today. Um, Congress and the response and our politicians response, our government's uh, response has been slow. It has not been um, what the American people need to combat this coronavirus uh, in this time of a pandemic. Um, And you have a statement uh, that you put out and you talk about uh, Congress and their emergency response package, more specifically the revised emergency uh, response package. And you say Congress's revised coronavirus emergency response package provides critical funds to address our public health crisis, offers a lifeline to struggling Americans, and makes a significant down payment towards safeguarding our uh, democracy. You know, we have an election coming up, and every American not only expects but deserves to have their vote counted and their voice heard in our democracy. Um, the the some of the money, 400 million in election funding for states and localities. Um, I think that is necessary, and I think that is a step in the right direction. Would you agree? And if so, why? It is a step in the right direction. I mean, one of the challenges we have is that first of all, elections are carried out at the state and local level. As it's a very decentralized process, and states need resources to deal with this um, COVID health. Um, crisis. And so the 400 million will be distributed to states, um, you know, in a state that a formula that it has been that has been used in the past when there has been election security money that's come through in 2018 and 2019 to deal with the potential of old voting machines or potential for hacking from foreign um, foreign actors that are hostile to the country. Um, And these resources can be spent you know, making sure that polling places are in locations where people can access them, that they are, that there is room for you to move polling, um, polling machines far apart. So we're abiding by the Center for Disease Control requirements of six feet apart, that there is room for people to be in line, um, that they have um, sanitizer and other things to clean the machines. All of those kinds of things are things we are going to need. In addition, we are going to have to look at um, reforms, and that's something that Common Cause is working on, reforms to make sure that we can put in place procedures that will keep people safe, give them options, and make voting more accessible and secure in November. Looking at things like vote-by-mail programs and absentee voting whenever possible, early voting so we don't have long lines that are going to be showing up, um, making sure that um, that even polling locations are not put in places where there could be at-risk communities, because a lot of times you'll see polling locations at senior centers. So we need to make sure that those are safe. We should also extend early in-person voting um, to keep crowds and lines down at polling sites. Um, We need to be looking at making sure that if there are 
you know, any kind of changes to where elections are held or, you know, the dates, because we saw Ohio postpone and many other states are postponing that, that administrators are providing that information to the public immediately and transparently in many different ways. So we're sure that people know when to vote um, and so that, you know, turnout won't be down. Um, and then we need local administ- administrators to have resources just to make sure um, that if they are going to be voting in person, um, that it's safe um, for people to be there. We've seen some interesting um, accommodations made in places like California, where they have um, they have both vote by mail but vote centers where people can drop off um, their ballots. And they, they um, in some counties, had curbside voting. So you could drop off your ballot, um, just open your window, hand it to somebody, um, and they would take it, you know, an election official, and they would take it into the polling place so people didn't even have to get out of their cars. So we need to be looking at that kind of flexibility. And to do that, it will cost money. And when you talk about money, the dollar amount I had mentioned, $400 million in election funding, that total is nearly triple what Senate Republicans had proposed initially in their bill. But I, I think you know it's pretty obvious common sense that we need more money because with the recent health crisis, states and localities immediately need significantly higher resources, more resources, because they have to make critical investments to ensure that, one, all voters can participate in a free, fair, orderly, and safe uh, election this year. Um, and, and, uh, and, and quite frankly, you know, we've seen voters in the past be disenfranchised with the recent health care uh, crisis. There could be millions uh, more voters disenfranchised. Um, it, th- that seems to be, you know, that that's a concern for me as a voter. I know it, it, that seems to be a concern overall. No, that's right. The, um, you know, one of our allies, the Brennan Center, did an analysis by t- they looked at survey data of election officials across the country in every jurisdiction, and then also did additional interviews about what would be needed by state. Um, and the amount that they came up with was $2 billion. So you will see Common Cause and many of our allies in the voting rights space and um, environmental groups and many others are advocating for that $2 billion um, amount. And, and frankly, we need to be getting it to these jurisdictions early. Our folks, Common Cause staff and allies, are working on the ground to meet with election officials to talk about, you know, the problem is it's not a one-size-fits-all. Some states have vote-by-mail. Um, others have, you know, no-excuse absentee voting, which means you don't have to give any excuse. But in some states, in Connecticut, for example, you need to state, you know, particular reasons why I will be out of state. Um, and so there need to be changes to the, um, to the statutes to say, you know, um, you can COVID-19, um, being fearful of catching the, um, the COVID-19 virus is a valid excuse to use an absentee um, ballot. There are a number of states that don't have early voting. So there need to be changes made and those changes take time. And we, we don't want to rush at the last minute to say we're going to vote by mail. Um, You know, one challenge is you need to make sure that the registration lists are up to date Um, in urban centers, in Native American um, communities um, and many rural communities, you know, um, addresses aren't, you know, as 
strong and people may not get those ballots. So you have to have um, contingency plans. So, you know, we attempt and mail ballots to everybody that they could vote by mail. But um, for those that didn't, they should be able to go to a vote center and pick up a ballot and be able to vote. Um, and so those are the kinds of reforms that we've moved in places like Colorado. Um, but it took time, um, it took resources, and it took planning so that the vote centers are in communities um, where people can have access to public transportation to get there. You know, there's a lot of things to think through. And that's why the money is important and the money coming soon is really important. Well said. Karen, we'll be right back with you. We're going to take a quick break. Karen Hobart Flynn is our guest, president of Common Cause, a nonpartisan grassroots organization with 1.2 million members and supporters dedicated to building a strong democracy and holding power accountable. We'll be back with her. We'll be back with you right after this. Check out the website, commoncause.org. On Twitter, follow them at Common Cause and follow Karen at K. Hobart Flynn, K-H-O-B-E-R-T-F-L-Y-N-N. I'm Leslie Marshall. Back in a moment. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Marshall, I guess is Karen Hobart Flynn, president of Common Cause. Karen, thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. We are talking about congressional coronavirus response and uh, how we need the funding to safeguard elections as well as the economy. Karen Hobart Flynn is president of Common Cause. She joins us here today. Uh, Karen, thank you very much uh, for joining us and thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. Um, we talk about oversight uh, protections that are critical. Um, they've been added to the stimulus package. And that is to prevent the current administration, the Trump administration, from using the bailout funds to reward allies and family members, public officials and their families. I think most of us would agree that despite our ideologies should not benefit at all from this stimulus. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to know your position as president of Common Cause about the bill excluding the president, vice president, members of Congress and their families from receiving these funds. Um, we completely supported that um, that measure. I, we thought it was entirely inappropriate um, that some of these benefits could go to President Trump and his family. As it was, you know, dating back to the early days of his um, presidency, we believe that the president should have divested himself of all of his business, um, all of his, you know, expansive business holdings. Um, and um, or put them in a blind trust. Um, he did neither. Um, he has his sons operating those. And the fact of the matter is his sons and um, Trump himself have benefited over the course of um, his term in office from his hotels, you know, Mar-a-Lago. There are many who visit there. Um, and um, we've also seen um Ivanka have um, business dealings with China and others that um, reap enormous benefits. And so the um, first family has benefited a great deal from the presidency. The challenge with that from a democratic democracy viewpoint is 
You want to know that the president is operating in the best interest for the American people and not thinking about his own bottom line. And that's the problem here. So I think it's really important that um, Congress stepped in and said they will not benefit um, from um, getting any stimulus funds to their hotels or anything else. Now, I do think um, that it's going to be important to keep an eye on that to make sure that there aren't some other ways um, that they could um, get some benefits. And that's some of the work that we're going to be looking at um, and that our staff is, in fact, researching. Uh, you know, when I think about what should we use stimulus funds for, um, you know, we don't need any kind of misinformation to be perpetuated upon the American uh, public. Um, I like that uh, in order, in a preventative manner, the legislation creates an oversight board uh, and includes important transparency measures to ensure that resources go where they're most needed. Uh, because there are a lot of times we see that pork in types of legislation like this um, are given to the wealthy, are given to corporations, are given to uh, special interest groups. And without these meaningful transparency and oversight provisions, um, we, the public, would be uh, left in uh, the dark and we wouldn't know wh- whose interest is being served. Is it ours um, or is it the uh, interest and, uh, and the best interest of special interest? Um one of the things right. I, I love about, and one of the things I love about your organization, I wanted you to speak to. You guys have brought decades, decades of oversight experience. In a sense, it's almost like for decades, common cause. This is a critical moment in history, uh, and that the work you have done so diligently over the years and over the decade to ensure that the public's investment in our national recovery is well spent. This is a, a shining example and moment of all the hard work uh, coming to fruition. Correct. That's right. The um, you know, the truth is. We are going to be seeing, I think, another stimulus, economic stimulus package, and the transparency and oversight of the distribution of the billions of dollars in corporate bailouts are, you know, um, I think it's going to be really important because we want to um, keep an eye on and prevent fraud um, and ensure accountability when it does occur. So. The, um, we will be fighting for more transparency and oversight provisions in future stimulus bills um, so that we can uh, make sure that there isn't any kind of fraud, um, abuse of, of power um, or waste. Um, because the fact is, um, you know, they, we have seen so many people um, who have lost their jobs. We are going to be going into an economic um, downturn um, we're, that's where we're headed, and the markets are um, really uncertain. And this is a critical time, a critical time to ensure that um, families have resources, resources to battle and um, to protect themselves from this, this pandemic. Um, and we need to be sure that, our, that the CDC, um, hospitals, doctors have the protective gear you know, that they need. It's, it's a really challenging time. Um, and Common Cause has worked on these kinds of issues for decades. Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, the census uh, is, uh, you know, part of this funds to ensure that the census um, is uh, providing the accurate count of everyone. Can you speak to briefly uh, why the census is uh, essential and what the repercussions would be if people don't fill it out? Because at a time like this, some people are questioning whether they should and, and I think are, are nervous about that. That's right. You know, um, 
The census does a number of things. First, we take a census every 10 years, and the census helps um, define, you know, how many people we have in this country. And it is not just about who votes. It is about everyone, um, every citizen or non-citizen, children, you know, um, and others. And so that is important because we use that to draw district lines where, you know, people um, where people will be represented in Congress by their um, elected representative. And so one is it's about people's voice in their democracy, but also, um, you know, the federal government and local jurisdictions use the census to determine infrastructure, where to put hospitals and schools, roads that are built. Um, it, can, it can be Medicaid block grants and aid from the federal government. And so it, it impacts communities in really tangible ways in, that affect their lives and their communities and their families. And so the census matters. Now, the census has gone out. It's, um, you know, this is a challenging time because people um, are nervous because we have seen um, an administration that has really cracked down and targeted immigrant communities. So there is fear that if they fill out the census, that somehow that could be shared um, with ICE. It will not be, um, but people need to understand that. Um, people need to ensure that they're going to be counted. Um, and if they fill out their forms, they can do it online or send back what was mailed to them. Um, they can also avoid someone coming, knocking door to door to, um, to check on that. So to me, um, it's important to be counted for our democracy and it's important to be counted for your community, for your health and schools um, and for your family. Thank you for being with us. Uh, very well said. We appreciate you joining us today. Karen Hobart Flynn, president of Common Cause. Their website, commoncause.org. On Twitter, at Common Cause. And for Karen, at K Hobart Flynn, K-H-O-B-E-R-T-F-L-Y-N-N. I'm Leslie Marshall. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back next week. <laughs>